Bright Suns, you're now listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast on the No One Is Listening Podcast Network. Punch it, Chewie! What have we here? Hello there. Morning, Senator. Greetings, We are the ones who guard the power. We are the middle. The beginning. <laughs> Feeling about this. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. You're a feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some respect. So this is where the fun begins. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is madness. You can't. What did Lisa say? Join the conversation with the Star Wars friends on social media at SW Friends Show. That's at SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the Star Wars friends at show at starwarsfriends.com if you have a comment or question you want us to read live on the show. Now, here are your hosts, the Star Wars friends! Hey, what's happening, boys and girls of the internet world? My name is Christopher Marinan, and you're listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast on the No One Is Listening Podcast Network. And joining me on this very special interview episode are my Star Wars friends. This is Josh, and I uh, I feel like I haven't been on the show in 10 years. I'm very excited to be back behind the microphone tonight. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Uh, this is Justin, and I may not be as young as I once was, but I'm older. And this is Maggie, and I've been teaching myself Adobe Illustrator just so I can draw the child. Hey, nice, nice. Very good. Well, I'm excited. It's a, it's a Friday evening for all of us. Mm-hmm. This episode will probably drop midweek, but hey, it's Friday everywhere today. So this is going to be a pretty solid episode. I think everyone listening is going to be really excited about today's interview. I'm really stoked. Uh, I know that this is something that we've wanted to do for a while. This is a person that we have great respect for and uh, has really made an impact in the Star Wars community we are really really proud to introduce our newest star wars friend he's a star wars legend emmy nominated multiple bmi award-winning composer mr kevin kiner how are you doing today kevin hey i'm great happy to be here awesome awesome so this is uh you know this is a pretty awesome experience for us to finally Mm -hmm. you know speak with you for sure we uh we are all fans of your work you know, going back through your catalog, uh, through your career, and I, I want to dive into you know your your whole career, not just maybe necessarily the Star Wars stuff. We're here to talk Star Wars. We're called the Star Wars friends. But yeah. um, one thing that peeked out to me before we get into the Star Wars things, you did you've composed music for a movie that may have fallen under the radar for some folks, but I host a, another podcast that dives into some of the, the oddball things in American pop culture and entertainment. You did some composition for a movie called freaked with Alex winter, uh, early 1990s film that I watched, uh, constantly. I burned out the VHS that I recorded from HBO. Um, when I was a kid, you know, what are your thoughts looking back now on a movie like that? You know, have you ever revisited any of that? Or what was your, you know, brief experience working on that movie? Uh, you know, they actually just released the soundtrack 
track uh, on vinyl of Freaked about um, just before COVID hit. So maybe it was in December or something. Um, and they had a huge screening of the movie Freaked down at the Egyptian, where actually, which is where Clone Wars the movie premiered as well. Um, and anyhow, uh, th- th- it was packed. It was like a. It, it, you know, it was like some kind of a fan night kind yeah. of a experience. It, it was really, really cool. Um, so I worked with Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, who had just done Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And, of course, of course also Randy Quaid and Brooke Shields and Mr. T were in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was just a very, very bizarre uh, film and, and a cool film. Um you know, it was out of the mind of Alex and uh, Tom Stern was the his yeah his direct and writing partner. Um, yeah, it's a if you can pick up the soundtrack on vinyl, I think it's oh gosh, what's the name of the label? Um, Is it Mondo Records? That yeah, did? Mondo. Yeah. yeah, good job. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's out on Mondo and um, it's it's a fun soundtrack. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it when they called me like. I guess they probably called a year or a year and a half ago, two years, uh, and asked if I still had the tracks. And man, I had to do some digging. <laughs> fine. But oh, anyhow, sure. yeah, that was, and you know, that was 1993. Yeah. So I'd been working for about 10 years at that point. Um, and, you know, it was a studio film, it was Fox. Um, so it was, you know, it it wasn't a huge success. Uh, unfortunately, I was supposed to be my big break in the studio films, and didn't happen at that point in time. I had to wait about ten more years or so. But that it, it was it's it's a really, really fun film. It's really a fun fun film. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Cult classic. I uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So that was one thing that I, that spoke out to me. I said, okay, I gotta ask him. <laughs> It's so cool uh, for so, like a nerd like me um, to really, you know, speak with you of someone that actually worked on the film and, and really put a stamp on that. So awesome. Very cool. So let's uh, let's pivot a little bit. I want to learn, you know, how you got into co- composing. I uh, I find that fascinating. I'm a I'm a professional, former professional musician, spent the majority of my life uh, getting into this, but I never made it to that realm where I was composing. I've done a couple you know, indie films and things, but nothing to the extent of where I would even be in the same uh, galaxy as you. Um, so how did you pivot into composition? How did you get into that? Well, I mean, my history is just as a guitar player playing in God, like rock and roll bands and stuff. And I um, then as I grew up, uh, I mean, I was practicing so much, but my parents never asked me to practice. It was always like, Kevin, get out of your bedroom. You're still in your pajamas. It's dark. Uh, You've been playing your guitar all day, you know? And and so I was that kind of person. And I I was just really, really into playing my guitar and and played in a lot of rock bands as well as jazz bands. Um, But I was told I couldn't be a musician. And pretty much my mom was right i mean it, it's a tough life uh it's a it's it's tough to get gigs the competition's insane uh there's really really crazy talented people everywhere um and you know it's you know it's a, the great saying about luck being where uh uh what is it opportunity meets uh, preparation or something like that i think is holds true with me in my career I just, um, I 
I do. Uh, well, I, I was going to UCLA and I was pre-med um, mm. because I was told I couldn't be a musician. So I was going to be a doctor. My, my mom was the, you know, doctor, lawyer. That's it. Those are your choices. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, probably my junior, maybe the end of my sophomore year at UCLA, I started gigging around town just to make extra money around LA. Uh, and I got a got a job with a a, a group that went and played in Vegas. Um, they were kind of like the Supremes, three girls that sang and danced and did you know synchronized moves and sang really well. Uh, and their music director got another job. Uh, their manager asked me if I could be music director and conduct, and I'd never conducted in my life. So, of course, I told him, oh, yeah, I conduct sure. all the time. <laughs> and he said, fine, go, get a passport. We're going to go New Year's Eve. We're going to be in Jakarta, Indonesia at the Hilton Hotel Oh my in their, in their showroom. So I'm like, cool. I go find my birth certificate, but get my passport and uh, dropped out of UCLA the middle of my senior year um, and kind of, you know, I, I learned how to do arrangements with that group. I did eventually learn how to conduct. Um, <laughs> definitely on the job. A lot of people in Indonesia really think I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but, you know, and right. they were right back then. Um yeah, so I yeah I kind of I learned it and then I started doing arranging. So arranging's a nice kind of bridge between composing and playing as a, a um, because say like we would do we would go we did went from Indonesia we went to Tokyo, and all of a sudden in Tokyo they had strings and we didn't have any string parts. And I mean we had guys like Nelson Riddle, Frank Sinatra's uh, arranger had done charts for us as well wow. as. Uh, Costa, really in fa famous guys, but they hadn't written any string parts. So, so I had to write string parts. Well, when you write a string part, you're you're kind of composing something, you know. Um, so that got me. And and my first couple, and and then I did full arrangements too. And so their manager stopped hiring Nelson Riddle and Don Costa and those guys and just used me. Um, and I I I I think I had a knack for it, you know. Um, so I, I, I did that for a couple of years. Um, got married in the Philippines. That's where I met my wife. Awesome. We've been, we've been married 37 years, coming up on 38. Hey, hey. Uh, yeah. That's nice. Congratulations. Oh, wow. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and, and so I, I decided to leave the road. Um, and there's these two, there's two groups of musicians. There's the in-town cats who do sessions and movies and TV shows and stuff. And then there's the the guys who travel and they'll work with Elton John or they'll work with, you know, Madonna or whoever it is on the road. And and I was one of the road guys and I just the twain shall never meet kind of, you know, you just don't get in-town calls if you're a road guy. So I struggled a bit when after we got married, uh, I didn't have any in-town connections. Uh, but then a friend of mine was working on a TV show that didn't have the budget for music. And so we just kind of went in, my friend and myself, and to a studio and wrote a theme and wrote some from some cues unsolicited and dropped a cassette tape onto the guy producer's desk and said, here, here's your 
and he's like, well, we only have, you know, they had a budget for a music library, which was, you know, a couple thousand bucks or something like that. And we said, great, we'll do it for that. Um, I played a lot of the instruments on that show. And then we hired some guys as well. Uh, so we didn't make any money on that show. But that then that producer went and got his own show. And he took me with him. My partner decided not to pursue music. He was too afraid. Uh, he's now extremely successful as a music clearance guy. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was just, uh, I mean, afraid. I, I, I'm making him sound like a wuss or something. He, he's a great guy. He was just, yeah. he's just right. Mm-hmm. Lately, it's a it's a freaking scary business, and he just didn't want to be out there, you know, with me as a partner having to you know make a living. So I wound up doing that show. I wound up doing the guys got an ABC series, which was called Foul Ups, Bleeps, and Blunders. I, I did that. Steve Lawrence and Don Rickles hosted that show. Nice. Uh, and within I would say two years. Three other producers got their own shows from that show, and they took me with them to their show. So within two years, I was doing four TV shows, which is wow. – it never really happened to me since that, that one show has had producers that quickly go to other shows. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's that opportunity meets preparation thing and, and luck. You know, that's the luck deal that happened. So, I, I mean, I paid my dues. I did a lot of – Boink and Doink bloopers music. You know, I did little sitcom bumpers um, for a show called Out of This World. And then I, I actually, my first live action show drama was working for Ilya and Alexander Salkind on uh, The Adventures of Superboy, uh, which was the first live action. they just done the Superman movies with Christopher Reeves. they just done Supergirl who, uh, that Jerry Goldsmith scored. And um, and then I got that gig. I mean, it was really, really fortunate. And and yet again, or it, it, at the beginning, there's the beginning of my dramatic scoring career. I am having to, you know, analyze and recreate at least the palette and the sound of John Williams because they just they loved that sound on the Superman movies, mm. and that that's what Superboy kind of was all about back then was doing the John Williams orchestra music. Hmm. So how hard was it to, you know, go from what you were, you know, you're learning, you're growing a lot on the fly, it sounded like. And now they ask you to to mimic one of the masters and, you know, to try to learn that and maybe multi-instrumentals. You know, I don't know, you know, obviously the journey from being a composer, having to being a natural guitarist, now learning, you know, all the other instruments and scoring that, you know. Was it a big leap to try to mimic, um, you know, some type of John Williams type arrangement, or did you just find it more of a natural type of progression? Um, it it wasn't easy. Um, I wouldn't call it a natural progression. I would call it like tons of work. I would call it postdoctoral thesis. <laughs> 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 um. And you know, I, I guess now this this show is you can see me, but it's just a it's a podcast, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could show you guys this score. Um, this is a Star Wars score. You can see the yeah. covers coming off. It's all beat up. Well loved. Yeah, I bought this in the late seventies or early eighties, probably early eighties. I bought this. Wow. Uh, 
And so I had been studying him even before I did Superboy. Okay. Just just because, I mean, when I went and saw Star Wars, when I went and saw E.T. or Superman or Indiana Jones, I'm like, I want to sound like that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's I want to do classically grounded orchestral film score music. And and so way before any of these gigs came along, that's what I was studying. I was taking his scores. I was tearing them apart. I was coming up at least with my own reasoning for why he did what he did. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably, I'm sure I'm wrong a lot of the times, but at least I have some kind of logic and, and, you know, kind of insight into his, his palette and his, licks and his idioms and all, all the all the tricks he uses and i mean none of us can write melodies like him there's nobody alive who can yeah. um we all aspire to that i mean that includes like john powell and uh, john debney and alan silvestri and you know you name it uh michael giacchino we all aspire to write melodies that great and none of us can i mean he is the master and he's so far above us it's insane yeah, uh, but we can get a lot of insight into into his techniques by by studying his scores. Yeah, and that's interesting. You know, one of the questions I had in my mind, and I didn't know if we were going to get to there, is you know, have you studied any of the the classical masters, Mahler or Brahms or anything like that? Have you any interest in any of those type of composers? So this is what I'm doing right now. I'm working on uh, Firebird, Igor Stravinsky. Yeah. I'm kind of, you know, Stravinsky is a famous quote, uh, good writers, good composers borrow, great composers steal. So I'm, I'm taking his advice and I'm stealing from him. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and yeah, so that answers, you know, so now here. 30 what six years on yeah. into my film composing television composing career i'm still studying igor stravinsky right now fantastic yeah i mean i'm a huge classical lover you know and uh it's always interesting you know um how people get into this especially now since classical music isn't you know uh, kids don't get raised on it and you know it's not really a big component unless you are a musical student or uh you know pursue this as a career so um, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. So let's, uh, I was, I wasn't raised on it. I was raised. I mean, my influences are Led Zeppelin and black Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously my voice is going to be a little different for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk a little bit about your, your entry from film, you, you know, you're doing film and some television dramas you then move into scoring for animation. Uh, clearly, you know, we, we know you best on the Star Wars Friends from Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, but before we dive into that, were, did you grow up a Star Wars fan? Was that, you know, was that a part of your journey? And if so, what, what's your Star Wars origin story? How did you get into that? Okay, so it came out in 77, right? Yeah. 78, New Hope 77, I think. Um, I was going to UCLA, um, and I hear about this this movie is coming out. So I go down to the Bruin in Westwood um, and stand in line and and saw this like just mind blowing. 
I mean, I think I, I don't know if it's like that. You guys are a different generation. For us, when we saw it in the theater, and, and it's the reason Mel Brooks did it in Spaceballs, is the really the, the thing that you really first see that we'd never seen before in a, in a film was the scope and how large that spaceship is. You know, that first Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. As, a, as, a, as, a, as a, it's not the music, it's the rumble, and and I mean I'll remember that. That's like you talk about my my Star Wars origin. I mean it was just like goosebumps. Yeah. Like I, I'm getting goosebumps right now. It, it was just <laughs> we could not flip and believe that we we hadn't seen sophisticated special effects, and we had just and sound design. All this was new, yeah. and and when that. When that Star Destroyer comes, we're just like, holy! It, it, it just and <laughs> and then the music hits, and 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 it was just the theme is just so amazing. So, so to me, it was it was a sensory just feast. Yeah, seeing that movie, and, you know, and, and it that it changed my changed my life, uh, my film going and and film composing life. Yeah, that yeah, and you're right. To to our generation, we we never got to experience that, and that yeah, I can't even imagine what that's like. You know, I can only say yeah, I saw the special edition in 1998 or whatever. You know, it's like totally different now. So, um, you know, and then after that, obviously you're you know you're still honing your career and and, and developing you know your style. Did you ever follow along with the Star Wars franchise even through, you know, the dark times as as it's been called before after Return of the Jedi? Um, you know, did or did you pivot to maybe to a different franchise or were there any things that you were, you know, invested in outside of music along that along that time? Um, I I I went to every midnight screening. I I mean, uh so yeah, and I, I don't really consider them dark times. I, I mean, the prequels, I, I love the prequels. I'm not even, I, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say this because I have a pretty positive uh, comments and web presence, but I, I even sort of don't mind Jar Jar Binks. Oh, we're, we're fans Jar Jar over Binks. here. We're yeah. fans. Yeah, we like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, you're good. So, I mean, I, I had fun with those films. I, I don't consider them the same as the first three, but, uh, you know, nothing will ever touch Empire. Yeah. I, I just wanted to say for clarity, when Chris says dark times, he's not um, disparaging the prequels. He's talking about that gap between, you know, 83 and oh, 1999, where yeah. there was no real yeah. content. No content. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So I misunderstood the question. No, no I just, I didn't want you to think that we didn't like the prequels. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> we love the prequels. Okay, oh, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, in those, so... I, I mean, you still had, like I was talking, you, you still had your ETs and your Indiana Joneses and uh, even Back to the Future. I mean, I, I consider I'm, I'm sort of friends with Alan Silvestri. I mean, we, we talk sometimes and, and uh, gosh, it, you know, Alan Silvestri gave me the best career advice I ever had. Um, I was I'd come back to town and I was working uh, selling toner for photocopy machines for about six months. And uh, somebody got me on the uh, on the stage, uh, the scoring stage of Chips, mm. and I I I gotten to know Alan a little bit, um, and he he had me read through the score because he got he was going in to conduct for some of the more um, romantic um, 
scenes or whatever. Anyhow, so I, um, after Chips was canceled, Alan didn't work for a lot while, and he he had some really he he had some real struggles before romancing the stone. And during this time, I called him up, and I was, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out how to get launched as a as a television or film composer. And and we had lunch at a Denny's up here um, near where he was living. And I I remember this like what he said. He, I, I'm like, so I'm just you know trying to get started. You got any advice? He goes, well, are you lucky? And and I'm like, man, what does this freaking have to do with music? <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, do you mean like when I go to Vegas or? And, and he, he just repeats it. You know, I mean, he was so yoded out right then. I mean, he was yeah. just like the wise dude. And he goes, no, are you lucky? And he wouldn't really tell me the answer. I just, you know, that was, that's how you, you know, you make it as a film composer. I mean, that's one, you know, one of the deals. And, you know, if you, if if I have to give what that answer was, it, it it's you make your own luck. I mean, yeah. it, it may be encapsulating what, but it was better that he didn't answer, and I'm just go away, kind of shaking my head, trying to figure out what the hell. But yeah, so I, I mean, I loved all the Back to the Future stuff. I loved Alan's work. I loved everything John Williams did. Um, I got really into Ennio Morricone. You know, the mm, Mission yeah. came out around that time. Um, just one of the greatest soundtracks ever, ever, ever. Uh, I got really into John Barry. Uh, I, I just love, you know, these are all melody guys. If you, yeah. if you, if you know, you know um, and the only guy who, who's maybe not as much of a melody guy, although he could be, who I was really into was Jerry Goldsmith. Um, but those, those, it, those were the kind of things that, that I was interested in and that, that I was considering, you, you know, my benchmarks. Awesome. Awesome. So, awesome. yeah, I mean, that's the golden age of, of film composition, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, some of the best soundtracks ever come out of that generation. That's right. That's um, right. So let's, uh, y- you know, you mentioned Empire. Is that your favorite Star Wars film? If we talk film proper, or what's your favorite Star Wars film? Yeah, Empire's my favorite Star Wars film. If I would have to take my favorite... I mean, a Star Wars moment. I would have to say that's Ahsoka leaves in uh, Clone Wars. Yeah, okay, that's a good choice. Okay. And, and I got to do that, so bitching. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Just watch that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shoot or something. Hey, Star Wars friends, it's Josh, your favorite Star Wars friend, and the resident John Williams one percenter. Do you want to be a John Williams one percenter like me? Well, here's a piece of John Williams trivia to help you push up your glasses at the other 99%. Did you know that John Williams has 52 Academy Award nominations in his career to date? The only other person with more nominations is some guy named Walter Disney? Never heard of the guy. Make sure to stay on target and listen to the Star Wars Friends podcast every week for more John Williams content. Hey, I'm Jason Fry. Thanks for listening to Star Wars Friends podcast. 
Hello there. I'm Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, hey, hey, Obi Wan. Um, you good there? You good there, bud? What do you mean, my friend? I'm, I'm, I'm just introducing myself in the Star Wars Friends podcast. Well, yeah, but I'm. You do know that you're me, and and, and I'm you. How do you mean, my friend? Well, you know, I'm I'm voice acting you. The voice kind of live up in my head. Right, but I'm Master Obi Wan. Can you just let him do his bit? Like I I don't think you see what he's trying to do here. Like what he's telling you is that you live in a space in this kid's brain, this little 18-year-old's brain, and you're not actually real. I I fail to see how that's the reality, Anakin. Frankly, I'm I'm confused. Well, well yeah, Obi Wan. I, I get that you're confused. Can we just cut to the? Uh, no, no, my friend. I need to figure this out. By the end of this podcast, I will have figured out who I am, what I want, what I'm going to do. R- right? No, no. I, I get it. I do. Um, I, I just think you're kind of dragging this little section on like a long time, probably longer than the Star Wars Friends podcast wants it to go. Well, do do look. I, 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 I Obi Wan, you're confused. I get it. These are confusing times. Unprecedented, maybe. I'm sure you've heard that word before, and you'll probably hear it a billion more times. Master Obi Wan, I think what he's trying to say is that you should just be happy to be here on the Star Wars Friends podcast. It's a good day to be a Star Wars friend. Can we just like move on, please? Well, uh, all right, Anakin. I suppose that would be a, a good idea. <laughs> hey, I'm Kevin Cabral, and you're watching the Star Wars Friends show. Happy to be a Star Wars friend. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Star Wars Friends podcast. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. Let's dive into some of this stuff. Uh, you know, Star Wars characters, you, you've you been able to compose uh, across a lot of really heavy Star Wars content that helped us as fans fill in a lot of story, but really has become some of Star Wars fans' most beloved content, uh, you know, speaking of Clone Wars and Rebels. So do you, do you have a favorite character? Is it from, is it from any of the Star Wars, Clone Wars, Rebels? Is it, is it movies? You know, you just mentioned, obviously, Ahsoka. That's one of our favorite characters. Literally is the logo of our show. Um, but is, do you have a favorite character? Uh, I mean, if, you know, if, like I'm in front of a firing squad or something, I, I'd have to say Ahsoka, I mean, Kanan's fantastic. Ezra's fantastic. Rex is, you know, so cool. Yeah. Um, the clones in general are so cool. And and these are also kind of tying in with themes that I've written. Right. You know, I mean, and um, one of the better themes I wrote was Ezra's theme. In fact, I, I had to call a bunch of my composer friends because – I was positive I'd stolen it from from John Williams or somebody like that, you know. And, and I'm like, so that's and it's funny because, gosh, I was just watching. I don't think it was Elton John, but some other um, some other songwriter, really famous dude, and he has a story like that too, where he he was positive he'd stolen some one of his biggest hits or yeah. whatever. Um, that's when you know it's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> If you think you stole it, it's right? Good. Yeah. 
uh, a teens theme. I, I oh, really yeah. love Oh, yeah. So, so, so w- when you compose, I, I'm fascinated by this because this is, you know, you are in such a unique position to where you've add, you add life to these characters. We always talk about how the music in Star Wars plays its own character in such a pivotal you know, pivotal part to this. Without the music, Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars. I mean, really strip it down. Yeah. It's not the same. So I'm fascinated on the creative process. Um, you know, I guess when you are composing a theme for these characters, are you given a rundown by, you know, the writing, the story group? Is it Dave Filoni? How do you go about this? And, and you know, what is the context on how you create these themes or, you know, elements to these characters? Um. There's a wide variety uh, of circumstances. Um, so when I wrote Ahsoka's theme, that was one of the first things I composed, one of the first themes I composed for Clone Wars. And at that time, I was working with George Lucas. Um, Dave Filoni was there, too, um, giving me direction. But uh, I was, you know, George was really involved in, in the first bit. And... Uh, I think he showed me the scene. Um, I, God, I, I, I know she's sitting in a on a bunk. I think in her, in, in in her cabin or something like that. Maybe it's not in her cabin on a ship. I, I forget. But um, I swear to goodness, I can't remember what George's direction was. I I know he he was really he he wanted a a, a female hero. He he wanted. Really, I, I mean, that was a big thing. And and you see that continue with yeah. Dave Filoni's way like that, too. You know, and uh, there's some really, really strong female heroes. So so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure George told me something like, don't make it girly. She's, a, you know, it's a female hero, but she's, you know, she's strong. And she's she's like the backbone of this show yeah. in a way. So maybe that was my direction, you know, and how do you put that into music? I mean, that's, you know, that's the bazillion dollar question. I I mean, there's no answer. Everybody, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I just, I heard it. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of what I was going to ask was that you've got a a wide range of not just Star Wars uh, compositions, but other movies and TV shows from, uh, anything from like Leprechaun to Walker, Texas Ranger to oh. <laughs> um, do- newer Doom Patrol, right? Like you've yeah. got all these different characters and these different uh, sounds and themes. How do you go about like, where do you start? Like, because it's, I mean, going from Leprechaun, which is a horror movie to, you know, something like Doom Patrol, which is very action packed. It's, you know, superhero kind of uh uh, theme how do you switch gears from that and like when you hear a character or hear about a character you go this is the sound that i hear in my head or this is what i'm envisioning for this person or for this show well first uh for for any of the fans out there if you have to make a choice whether you're going to watch leprechaun walker texas ranger or doom patrol <laughs> i would i would go with doom patrol <laughs> yes see what you think but, uh, you know, I'm so proud to be working on that show, and I'm so proud of what, you know, my sons are working with me also on that. Um, you know, uh, on Doom Patrol, 
Um, Jeremy, the showrunner, uh, is was really into like the kind of electronica kind of electronic sounds and stuff and and myself and my sons had recently got really into that and you can hear that more in season even seven of clone wars uh and you can also really start to hear that oh, i'll give you guys a nugget uh because now i can i can officially say that i'm, I'm you know i'm working on bad batch awesome. and yes yes yeah and that's you're going to start hearing more of the electronic. I mean, I to me, it's just some of the just really cool stuff that you can do with electronic sounds is um, combined with the orchestra is kind of the future of where sci-fi music is going. Um, but so, you know, that's the sound of Doom Patrol, and it just works so well with all those characters, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I'm just super proud of the where our work on this show and I Man, that's that's a great show. That's it's a fantastic show. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite new shows that are out right now. So, yeah, in, in terms of answering, I mean, so there I have kind of the director or showrunner's direction. Also, my desire to be more electronic, um, you know, and 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 purely electronic in, in the uh, Doom Patrol realm uh, with Clone Wars or Bad Batch. I, I don't think with Star Wars I ever want to be truly uh, purely electronic although there will be some of those moments uh as there were at the end of season seven in clone wars where it is extremely electronic yeah but um really you, you know it's it's a combination of things and uh, i think i'm really fortunate that i get to work on all these different projects because i don't get bored you know i don't get just tired of just <laughs> You know how many it's not Star how many, Wars all the time? Yeah, it's not. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It, it. Or it's not Narcos Mexico all the time, or whatever it is. You know, I'm I'm really proud of that show and the music we do for that. Um, I had no idea. You, I totally didn't know you did that one. I love the music on that show. I watch it like all the time just for the the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I play, and my eldest son. I mean, youngest son, Dean. He plays a lot of the instruments on that. Oh wow. It's a phenomenal show and phenomenal soundtrack. Thanks. So yeah. of all the of all the pieces that you've done, like because again, you've got an expansive portfolio. What's your what's the most interesting one that you have have done, or what was like your favorite or least favorite Leprechaun? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, you know, no Leprechaun is definitely not my least favorite for sure. I, I mean, I. First of all, I won't mention my least favorite. Usually that has to do with like maybe like douchebags involved and, you know, stuff. You know, it's not Mm. just not just the the project itself. Um, You know, I've mentioned a lot of my favorites already. You know, it's like Clone Wars, Rebels, Bad Batch, Doom Patrol, Narcos Mexico, even CSI Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane the Virgin was super fun. Um, uh, Titans is really fun for DC as as well. Um, so kind of what I'm doing right now is in a way, I mean, I'm having a great time with Bad Batch. Uh, and, and we just, we, we finished, well, season two of Doom Patrol is out. Uh, hopefully we'll be starting up Titans. I, I know... Another one I really, really, really enjoy, which is very different, is um, "City on a Hill." I do that. Uh, okay. 
that's the Kevin Bacon show on on Showtime. It's about Boston, and the FBI corruption and stuff mm-hmm. uh, in Boston, or police corruption in Boston. Very timely, really, even though it's a his, historically related. Uh, but um, and that I play some very very intimate instruments and. Uh, you know, that was an audition as well. Clone Wars was an audition, a blind audition. Nobody knew wow. who, when when they chose. They didn't know who they were listening to. Uh, City on a Hill was a blind audition. Um, yeah, you, you, it's really gratifying when you get when you when you nail one of those. You know, that's pretty cool. Wow. So, I I wanted to pull it back to you were talking about the the um like the the tech. The um like the electronic music. Um, I don't know if I have a question. You kind of answered the question I was going to ask, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention to you that, and I think we're all in agreement here that the, the atmosphere that you set during the siege of Mandalore, especially in Shattered, when we're like all waiting for the hammer to drop of Order sixty six, like that atmospheric like haunting mm-hmm. music that you made for that episode and for that whole arc. It's just, it's it's one of the it's one of the most like emotional pieces in Star Wars, yeah. like up on par with like Anakin's betrayal and just it's it's incredible. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, like, how did you pivot to because we were for lack of a better term, we were kind of describing it as like Blade Runner esque music. But mm-hmm. like that and the the end of like the very end scene with the, the graves and stuff. We, right. we we love that that atmospheric yeah. stuff, uh, the electronic. And I was going to ask mm-hmm. you how you got there, but I, I just wanted you to know how much we <laughs> love that. Well, yeah. It, um, so a lot of that is Dave Filoni's direction. You know, he really decided, let's not go orchestral. Let's go, you know, electronic, atmospheric. A lot of the credit for uh, some of those areas I, uh, are goes to my sons, uh, Sean and Dean, who are co-composers on on Clone Wars and and now on Bad Batch. Uh, they're they're really good composers in their own right. Um, they're really helping me stay current with those kind of sounds and uh and with electronic music in general you know um it's you, you can really get kind of stuck in a rut if, if you're if especially i tend to work a lot and you know if i'm just stuck in my cave doing my own thing i i could get i could get really stale and i i think my sons really helped me uh, not be stale. Yeah. And as does Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni is just a joy to work with. He's just awesome. Yeah. And, and you've worked with him for, I mean, what now? Well over, was it a decade? I mean, it's gotta be longer Probably than that. Maybe 13 years, yeah. 14, something like that. Yeah. Cause, cause I started, you know, I mean, when, so when, when we were invited to do the audition for Clone Wars, I think there were about five of us. We, we never met each other. I, I know some of the guys. Um, but we were flown up there, and we didn't meet with George Lucas. We met with Dave Filoni and with his uh, his lead editor, who, funny enough, I, I'd worked with on CSI Miami. He, he, he'd worked on that show, and then he... he uh, come up and worked on Clone Wars. So Dave Filoni, you know, and I have had a very long and and just fantastic relationship. Um, 
producers, you know, have kind of we have come and gone and you know moved on and stuff like that and they all they all comment on Dave and my kind of shorthand and finishing each other's sentences and you know cuz we have this process where we'll watch the show uh a lot of times it's over the phone or over Skype or whatever uh, he's cuz he's up at, at Lucasfilm and I'm down here in Los Angeles area um and I'll hear the there's a the process is a lot of the times there is temporary music and we call it a temp track and um i like them not to use my music uh, uh although they will use my music sometimes but um usually it's just the editor will find some kind of favorite soundtrack it's not not always star wars at all that they use as temp track and it kind of gives a pacing idea or just and so I'll hear like just like one little note or one little phrase and I'll stop and I go, oh, I really like that trombone lick there. And Dave will say, oh, I was just, just going to say that, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, and so we have a great connection and it's, uh, it, it's, it's very fortunate for me. So when you do these, you know, these Skype uh, walkthroughs, you get to see some of the, the early footage. What is the time frame from the time that you are, you know, tasked with, hey, this is, I need you to, to put something to this piece here till the time it has to be in the final edit room? Are you, are you given a long window or is it a tight deadline type turn? What are you looking at in this type of, uh, this environment? Um, it's usually a couple of weeks. Wow. Okay. It's about, you know, 18 to 20 some minutes of music. Um, if if we're doing a, a like an, a full orchestra session because we'll record in Prague or Budapest, Hungary, or some places like that, uh, they try to give me a little more time because we we have to orchestrate it and and record it. That that adds a few days, quite a few. That adds probably a week, really. Truth be told, with that, um, and but but for composing, you know. I can do it probably in one week and two weeks is pretty comfortable, really. Wow. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> That's crazy. Hi, this is Delilah S. Dawson, your Star Wars friend, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast. Kyle, will you be an angel for a helpless baby Yoda? Every day, baby Yoda is chased by bounty hunters and abused by scout troopers, and he's crying out for help. Please click the subscribe button on your screen and join the Star Wars friends with a monthly gift right now. For only 60 calamari flan a month, you'll help rescue baby Yoda from their abusers and provide food, shelter, Jedi training, and Beskar armor. Subscribe now and follow us on Twitter in the next 30 minutes to receive this tweet with a gif of Baby Yoda, who's been given a second chance thanks to you.
Baby Yoda needs our help. So please, subscribe, rate, and review right away. This is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Show. Do not underestimate the power of this podcast. Well, my name is Stephen Ray Morris, and I've been a Star Wars fan my whole life, and I'm happy to call myself a Star Wars friend. I know my thing is Jurassic Park, but I love Star Wars, and I dressed up for Ray for Halloween a couple years ago. So, yeah, enjoy Star Wars Friends. you're enjoying this episode of the star wars friends podcast subscribe to the star wars friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news in-depth analysis fan questions and conversation on all things star wars if you're enjoying the star wars friends please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on and make it a great one now back to the star wars friends so you're you know this is uh you have this legacy now in Star Wars and you've given your voice to, you know, so many pivotal moments over the whole catalog, you know, um, verse Clone Wars versus Rebels. Do you find you, you diving back into themes to connect the two series at all? Have you purposely done any of that as little, maybe is there a little nugget that you can share that maybe no one knows about? Is there something in there between those those two series that maybe we should listen for next time we re- we rewatch those series um you know not not so much connected hey this is Dominic Pace who played Gecko the Bounty Hunter from a, the Mandalorian happy to be your Star Wars friend you're listening to the Star Wars friend show when Rebels came in so if if you look at the very first episodes of Rebels you know, Dave Filoni really wanted to go back to A New Hope. And, you know, George Lucas, at, at the time we started Clone Wars, he really wanted the music to move forward. He didn't want me to use John Williams' themes very often. I, they weren't taboo, but they were to be used sparingly. And mostly he wanted new themes, like for Ahsoka and for whatever, just for each planet. He wanted to have its own ethnicity. Uh, He wanted the the sound of the show to be a lot more world music. So when we rebooted for Rebels, Dave said, okay, we're going to stop doing the world music thing. We're going to go back to, to episode four. And... So you can you can hear where I just took John Williams trombone to talking about trombone licks. There's a there's a fight that's very much modeled after uh, the <clears throat> the the fight in in uh, in, uh, in a New Hope, where Zeb and everybody are in their ship and they're they're in these turrets spinning around and they're um, they're fighting off the um, fighting off. The, uh, Imperial, what is it? X wings or no? Not X wings. The tie fighters. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Um, and you know, I use that trombone. Dun, 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 oh yeah. Which is you know right out of New Hope, and then I kind of go into my own thing. But it's really, really purposeful that 
we brought a more obscure John Williams kind of lick and and cue into that. And I mean, he John Williams is credited in that show with that with that music because it's his so we had the freedom to use his music in those in those kind of situations so that was something new in rebels you know yeah so another question i have for you specifically related to what's going on right now uh covet era has obviously shut down a lot of production across the entertainment industry uh you've you've mentioned bad batch a few times already today how is you know are you are you continually working are you uh are you finding that there's at least in your realm, are you getting, uh, I don't know, give us a little insider's view on what's going on from that end as far as is it, you know, are you seeing things pivot to animation because studios are shut down or do you still have a full palette of uh, material you're working on for live action stuff? Uh, I did for a little bit, but that's mostly just because I'm down the pipeline. Uh, none of the live action sh- shows that I was working on are currently filming. And so... All of those have stopped. We were uh, just starting up season six of Narcos Mexico, and that I think they they filmed two and a half episodes of that um, before they got shut down. Uh, City on the Hill, same thing. They were in New York, so I think they did a couple episodes and they were shut down. Um, Doom Patrol just finished, so mm-hmm. it it wouldn't start up again for a few months. I don't know when they're going to start up. Titans probably should have started up by now and they haven't started. Um, and we're all just, you know, it's, it's funny. It's still a day by day situation. I call people and, you know, and nobody really knows there's talk that maybe they'll start filming a a bit of live action in September. Um, but it's, it's, it's just a, it's a moving target right now and nobody knows any answers. So to answer your question, the only shows that are, are still going for me are Bad Batch, uh, and they're able to do the actors separately, you know, and they do them over Skype, and they're in a different studio and or at their home studio, just like I am. Uh, so I'm still working on Bad Batch, and those are coming in regularly. I, I have another animated project for um, uh, for Netflix called Tresse which is uh, funny enough, Filipino uh, mystical creatures, uh, kind of a horror animation show. Really, really fun. Um, That's a company called Lex and Otis that's doing that for, uh, um, and it's uh, with with just some great producers and stuff who I've worked with before. So that's still happening. Animation is, so I had two animated projects. They're still going on. but my live action is all shut down, so it's pretty pretty light right now. Wow. So so staying with the production stuff, I, I mean, we can see that you've got this huge production studio behind you with a lot of buttons and switches that I have no idea how to use. Yeah. Um, do you, when, when you're composing something or putting something together, do you have um, different musicians record things and then send them to you and then you kind of piece it together? Or are you doing everything all of those instrumental parts right there where you're at? And if so, how many instruments can you actually play to record something? Um, well, I have a lot of my own instruments. Stringed. I'm a guitarist, you know, I, and I play keyboards, and I can play some wind, I play saxophone. Um, 
So I can play fretted, even unfretted uh, instruments or percussion. I can play all those myself, and I do. Um, something like City on a Hill or Narcos Mexico, I'll play every instrument on the track. Um, something like Star Wars, we have to have. I don't play trumpet. I don't play violin. I don't play French mm -hmm. horn. I don't play trombone. You know, so we need an orchestra for that, or we at least need some guys to supplement the uh, the sample uh, instruments, which can sound mm -hmm. really good. Um, so we we have sessions with live guys. Um, that's harder now. We have to separate the guys more. We have to do. Um, you, you know, we have to. We still go to like the one place that's open right now is Budapest. Um, uh, their political situation is kind of weird, but uh, they have a really good situation as far as being fairly COVID-free over mm -hmm. there, and they're they're actively recording um, orchestras and and stuff. So I, I can use those guys. I have guys here in LA who have their own studios. I want to do some trumpet stuff. My trumpet player will do it. Usually I have the guys together, but now, so we have to have, send it to the, to the trumpet player, and then we got to send it to the trombone player, and send it to the French horn player. So it's a bit of a, wow. bit of pasting together. That's a pain in the ass, excuse me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, it's reality, so. Got your yeah. hands full. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, Kevin, I, I want to, you know, I, as a composer, we've covered a lot of ground. I want it's Mr. Kiner, the fan, uh, the Star Wars fan. What has been your personal favorite arc over the Clone Wars Rebels series? Have Have you found an arc that really, you know, you became emotionally connected with, or something uh, that really spoke out to you? Yeah, I, I would have to say it's the ending of season seven. You know, Mandalore, and you know, taking Maul when uh, Ahsoka takes Maul up to the ship. You know, I mean, there's some pretty, yeah, I like that arc quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that was. We uh, do too. Yeah, <laughs> a so lot good. of goosebumps <laughs> over here. Uh, when Josh was describing Shattered, um, that was probably my favorite composition from the season. That whole episode was just a really tense atmosphere that you created. Uh, it's unforgettable. It's unforgettable. And, you know, um, what you, the work that you did uh, was just fantastic. I will also say, um, I really enjoyed the work, and I, I'm, just, I'm just sort of revisited a little bit, uh, that I did for the original movie. And, yeah. you know, you go back and look at the beginning of Clone Wars, and now we're so used to the animation being so much better than it was back then and everything that, it, you know, it's got a, a, a few bumps in it. But, man, I'm, I, I'm really, really, uh, I'm, I'm really happy with a lot of the stuff that I did for you know those that the the Clone Wars movie that came out in theaters, and you know that's that's one thing that's on my mind too is when you did the blind audition, you went through the whole process. You got to meet one of the titans of the industry, George Lucas, and he's the one that's looking across from you and is asking you to to really add the language to his film, the the texture and this whole new project. Uh, Clone Wars was just so radical at the time. The whole animation style, the process. This was a pretty big venture. I mean, 
for you, you know, I can't even imagine what it was like, but that journey to be that that voice for that had to be so absolutely incredible. Um, I can't fathom it. I've just, I've, you know, that's just <laughs> unreal. But, you know, on a scale of one to, you know, a hundred, what was that, the whole journey like to be that person tasked with that? I mean, I can't imagine what that was like. On a scale of one to a hundred, I, th- I think it's a, a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was scary. It was exhilarating. It was challenging. It was terrifying. Uh, a lot of sleep was not had for a while. Um, you know, all of those things. But um, he's a very he's a very gracious man, uh, and and he is. You know, he is the creator of the greatest myth ever created for mankind on, on the planet, you know, in, in history. You know, he, he tops the Greeks and the Romans, really. And, and you know, it, it's he's such a visionary. He, he doesn't get caught up in little minutia. He, he's, he's just so good with the grand scope of things and the grand arc and the... Um, just giving you the proper direction and also trusting people, uh, you know, hiring people who, who he thinks are good and letting do, you know, what's, what's good. I mean, I'll tell you what was so hard. The first thing I had to do was to rearrange the star Wars theme for the opening of mm-hmm. Clone Wars. And, um, Gosh, that was just, I mean, first of all, I'm not writing my own melody. And, and you know, I, I, I really argued with, with George, I mean, not angrily, but just like, <laughs> I, I just said, look, John Williams did this properly the first time. I, I just, anything I do is going to be kind of the second choice or, or whatever, you know, I mean, when you're a composer, when you're, when you're, when you have an idea and then you go, okay, the melody goes down, okay, the cellos are going to do this, and then the trombones are going to do this and the French horns are going to do that. When you make those choices, it's part of the nature of composition that you're, you're saying, well, should the French horns go da-da or should they go da-da, should they go up or down? John Williams made the, all of those choices. Those were the proper choices. He made the good choices. So what am I left with, right? Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of changing things, um, so it was just terrifying and uh, and and frustrating. Um, and finally, you know, I, I found a solution with you know, just thank God that it, that it, you know, I, I put it into a different time signature. I, I um. You know, George Lucas really wanted world music, so we knew it had to have a lot of percussion, but there were problems with having percussion because um, if you just kept it in, like, John writes it in 2-2 on the score, which is a march. It's really very similar to 4-4, and that's just straight time. It's the same as disco. And what you start putting percussion into the... And you got a disco song all of a sudden. Stuck on percussion, and it was that was so frustrating. So I had to get it into an irregular time, so that it didn't have that kind of disco feel, and the percussion worked. And I remember when I I finally came up with what what is now the Clone Wars, you know, 
Star Wars theme, the this Clone Wars arrangement of it. And I brought it up, uh, and George Lucas had not gotten into the studio yet, and I was there alone with uh, Matt Wood, who's the sound supervisor for Skywalker Sound. Um, and he, you know, Matt Wood has worked on everything, and he's really knows what he's doing. And he, he puts, he gets my track, and he drags the file into Pro Tools, and, and he puts it up on the big speakers, and it starts playing, and he turns around to me, and he goes, oh, this is good. And, <laughs> like, he's surprised, you know. And, 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 <laughs> I think he wasn't expecting it to be good, because, you know, it, I was, it's, it's a, it's a freaking tall order. And, and man, I tell you, once, once he said that, because he really knows what he, and I was just like, okay, everything's going to be all right awesome. now. Awesome. I know it's going to be okay. Well, yeah. in, I mean, in fairness, like I just got through watching all six, well, seven seasons of Clone Wars now. And yeah. every time I watch it on Disney Plus, whenever that song comes on and the little skip intro button comes up, I don't think there's a person on this planet that hits skip no, intro. Never done it. So, no, never done it. You never do it. <laughs> you just sit there, you listen. It gets you in yeah. that mood, it puts yeah. you in the right mindset to watch. Star Wars and yeah. Clone Wars. So, um, to your credit, I mean, I I think it was great. It sounds Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Yeah, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. So yeah. thanks. Yeah, I mean, we play. You know, we play the theme when we do recaps here on the show. I mean, it gets us amped up mm -hmm. too. You yep. know, it gets us yep. in the mood to talk to talk Clone Wars. So, Mister Kinda, we have just a few more minutes with you. I have a uh, I have a really hard pressing question. It would be our fans, uh, listeners of this show, our Star Wars friends. This has become a hallmark of our show. Um, it is a slightly controversial but fun question I have to ask you. Um, there are different ideologies of how this particular vehicle is pronounced. It is, uh, it is a source of controversy on social media. However, um, we need to know, put you on the spot here. How do you, Mr. Kevin Kiner, pronounce the all-terrain armored transport? Is it AT-AT or is it ADAT? ATAT. Wow. Oh yeah, <laughs> baby. Am I, but I mean, I am so not. I, I mean, I, I can. Yeah, I'm. I, no, nope, I, don't disqualify it. You're, you've got it. You're, you're <laughs> good. Am I in the minority or is it? it yeah, like, I'm the only one on the show that but, thinks that it's ATAT. But it's slowly, you know, all the guests that I'm we've built, interviewed, yeah. yet slowly building momentum. ATAT -AT is definitely creeping up to being uh, right, right on par with that. At so, <laughs> now when you're given, have you ever been given direction by Filoni or anybody? that says, it's it, what do they say to you? Is they, do they ever tell you? Has that ever come up? Like how to say ATAT? -AT. Yeah, do they say ATAT -AT or are they, you know, do they say ADAT? -AT? You know, I, I mean, even George Lucas like forgets what things are called sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, there's fans who know so much more than he he does about about things, or at least you know remember and are into the minutia of things. Like, so no, I don't remember. I, I, yeah, I don't remember. You know. 
Sorry. Can you just yeah, lie no. and say Dave said Dave <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That would make my year. It's just you know, it's just a little <laughs> bit of fun. So uh, uh, before we end this thing, we play a word association game with our guests. And okay. if you would, uh, if you'd be so kind to play this game, it's a lot of fun. Everyone wins on it. Uh, but it's a, it's your classic word association game where we're just going to throw out a Star Wars person, place, or thing. And first thing that comes to your mind, uh, we'll move on to the next one. I tell you, I am a composer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were nervous. We were like, you know. I'm not a a words guy. Yeah. yeah. When I do songs, I hire a lyricist. (laughs) Well, we have had uh, we've had authors on the show for sure. And uh, we've had actors. Um, It's totally appropriate to make a sound. It could be a it could be a melody. It could be a a, a X-wing. Or, you know, whatever. Uh, first, thing, first thing that comes to mind, um, it's, you know, we'll see what we can do. So would you be willing to uh, participate in the Word Association yeah, game? Good good freaking luck to all of us. I, yeah. <laughs> Very good. So I have a little bit of, uh, you know, this is a, a little bit of music we play behind it. It's a little bit of Wrigley Field-styled cantina music here. A uh, little game show music. So... What we're going to do is I'll count down. Uh, we have about a minute and 20 that we time people out. I Who is our leader on the board here? It's uh, Still what, Maggie. Still Maggie, Maggie. Maggie, our host. Uh, she definitely has the lead on this. Um, you know, this will be fun. So have a little bit of fun with it. We're not uh, – once, once again, they're all winners on this one. So okay, here we go. In five, four, three, two, one, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Darth Vader. Clones. Rex. General Grievous. Dooku. X Wings. Y Wings. Java the Hut. Zero the Hut. Pizza the Hut. God, I don't know. <laughs> Ahsoka Sorry. Tano. Ah, uh, leader. Kylo Ren. Not quite a bad guy. Yeah, Finn. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what to say about Finn. <laughs> B- I'm sorry, I'm not on that. No, that's okay. B1 Battle Droids. Uh, <laughs> John Williams. Greatest film composer to ever live. Oh, yeah. Star Destroyers. Largest spaceship in the history of Earth. Or the galaxy, sorry. That's good. Django Fett. Django Fett. (laughs) I guess Bounty Hunter, but that's Bubba Fett. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Disney Plus. Great channel. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's good. I know it's not easy. It's not easy. If someone put me on the spot, yeah, my, yeah. my brain would melt. <laughs> so, yeah, Chris has never done it. So I have never it, done know. it. That's true. I've never, yeah, yeah. I've also never done any of our trivia games, oddly enough. Uh, <laughs> he makes sure he's the host so he doesn't get put in the hot seat, which is a very smart move. Yeah, Mr. Connor, I put everyone in the hot seat, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it'll, it'll be payback at some point in time. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind joining us for a few more minutes, we're going to blow this thing and go home. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. I got a really good feeling about this. 
All right. That concludes our interview with legendary Star Wars composer, Mr. Kevin Kiner. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing the insight, your journey with us. It is absolutely fascinating. You are such a massive presence in the Star Wars universe and for fans of the animation series we we really you know Josh kind of drove home how much we appreciate the work that you've done but we we are huge lovers of the animated series on this show I mean we can't go an episode without really talking about our love and you've added such a lovely voice to it giving us the drama the the love and we can tell that you have incredible passion for what you do. I can't wait to hear what you do going forward with the Bad Batch, experimenting with this electronic. You gave us a little taste in season seven. Uh, you know, this is fantastic. And I love that you did Freaked. I know that I might be the one person on this episode here, but I know my, my friends uh, out there, they're going to be really pleased about that for sure. <laughs> So uh, I really appreciate the time you've given us. And I think our Star Wars friends that listen to the show around the world are really going to find this to be fascinating, too. So uh, on behalf of everybody, thank you. Um, is there is there any place that people can find out uh, anything about you on social media, uh, website or anything along those lines? Yeah, I'm my website is kevinkiner.com. It just sort of shows what I'm up to. It'll probably have a link uh, to you guys or something. If you guys want to put a link to me that's cool also my sons who are really really composing a lot they're kiner brothers music k-i-n-e-r kiner brothers music and uh they do really cool stuff awesome, awesome. yeah very cool and it's yeah and now you're bringing along your sons your sons are starting to learn their voice that's i mean as a parent that's got to be a dream so that's pretty yeah. awesome very cool yeah. uh yeah. awesome awesome well thank you kevin uh if you're listening thank you yeah, yeah. If, if you're listening to the show and you like what you're here, go ahead and reach out to us at SW Friends Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And then send the show an email, show at StarWarsFriends.com. If you want to reach out to any of us, you can find me at No One Is Chris. Where can they find the rest of you? This is Josh, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Battle of Tanab. This is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at I Am The Bendu. And this is Maggie, and you can find me at Maggie of the Town. Awesome. Well, with that being said, we are going to end this in classic fashion. May the Force be with you. Hey, friends, don't forget to subscribe to the Star Wars Friends podcast and leave an awesome review on whichever podcast app you're listening on. Catch up on past episodes, fun interviews, and more at StarWarsFriends.com. Connect with the Star Wars friends on social media at SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at show at StarWarsFriends.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, may the Force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>